everyone, welcome to the Book Lounge. Today, we are talking about The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Your hosts, as always, are myself, Corinne Ritchie. And me, Tom Butler-Bowden. Um, and as you know by now, every week we take a great non-fiction book from past or present and uh, we discuss it uh, with our guest and um, each of us will weigh in on why we think the book is still relevant and um, what we think the, the good points are and why it's still worth reading or listening to. That's right. And I will also chime in about the book and give you some latest news about the title and the author. Now, for the most in-depth knowledge about this book, we recommend two things. One, the podcast is brought to you by Memoed. So be sure to check out the savable, shareable 10 bullet point memo about this book. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. And the second thing we recommend is listening to the Book Insights episode about this book. So that's going to be a more detailed summary, overview, and analysis. But here in the Book Lounge episodes, it's more of just an informal chat about the book of the week. Yeah, that's right. And um, so our book of the week is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Now, this has been a massive, massive book in the whole field of trauma. It's probably the the most famous one that uh, many people have read, even if they have no background in trauma or clinical interest. Um and it's it's the way that it's about the way that uh, trauma affects the brain and body as a whole specifically. Um, so it goes beyond like traditional um, areas of trauma, like you know violence and war and crime, and to look at childhood trauma, you know neglect, divorce, verbal abuse, and so on. Um, and um, it gives a lot of like statistics and evidence. Uh, for how these things impact um, physiology and the quality of life of people who have suffered from that trauma. That's right. And to discuss this really important book with us, uh, we're bringing on a guest who is an influencer. She's a public speaker, as well as a certified trauma-informed life coach for childhood trauma survivors. Please welcome Miranda Wise. Thank you for being with there with us. Yes, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, Miranda, um, you're obviously an expert in this area, but um, how did, uh, I mean, when did you, do, did you read this book and discover it in your whole journey and um, what was the sort of initial impact that it had on you? Well, it's a little complicated question. So I have to start by saying I am the target audience of Book Insights Memo. I love the summary. I uh, was a loyal user for a year of a different summary service. And that was my entry point to The Body Keeps the Score. But by the time I'd found the book, I'd already read a lot of other things about trauma. So there wasn't a ton in the book that was super new to me. And I don't, I don't know exactly when. I will say one way that I use summary services is I, get a, I, I want to read everything. I don't have time for this, though. So I listen to the summary, and then I decide, do I want more? Or am I really glad I didn't actually read this whole book? <laughs> and The Body Keeps the Score is absolutely one where I was like, immediately I'm buying this. Immediately I want to like look through this more. But it's not one for me to read cover to cover just because of the point in my journey that I did find it. And how did that journey start for you? What sort of drew you to this uh, subject area and topic? Yeah, so um, 
my my background is that uh, as a kid, I was diagnosed with ADHD, and uh, it was just part of my issue with reading books cover to cover. <laughs> and I come from a dysfunctional, broken home. I went through a number of very difficult things as a child uh, without adequate emotional support from my parents or anyone. And that right there is the, the recipe for trauma. That's like how it gets stuck. And after college, you know, I was out in the real world. I was not functional and I had a hard time with just every aspect of, of life, just general adulting, having a job, being in relationships, just all of it was a mess. And I eventually became self-employed. I started in professional organizing and in 2011, and then I was doing that, I got married had a baby in 2017. And both of those things really have a way of bringing things to the surface. And I had gone to therapy during that time because when I realized, you know, I wasn't really cutting it as an adult, that was when I started therapy when I was 23. And I, but I had quit with him because I'd moved when I got married in 2015. But then uh, before the pandemic, like not long before the pandemic, I went to a new therapist and she immediately identified me as a survivor. And in the second session said, you need to get this book. It's called Complex PTSD by Pete Walker. And I was like, a book. She, t- <laughs> she told me to read a book the year prior as I first called her. And it took me a whole year to read that book. So I actually did read it cover to cover. And I, I was like, what, what part of this book? Because she was like, this isn't the kind of book you read like that. It's a table of contents book where like you just read the table of contents and you just read whatever order you want, exactly whatever sticks out to you. And I I've, at this point probably have read Complex PTSD cover to cover because it's like you just I just started reading and then I was just obsessed and just would just I could barely do anything else in my life. But like focus on this book. I just kept reading it. And so that is really how I learned about trauma and did um you know, I did EMDR with her as well. And just learning about trauma and doing this different kind of work. I mean, I experienced this, like a paradigm shift is an understatement. It completely changed my entire life, this education. And so I had to question what I was doing in my business, my mission statement or my services, what it all was. And so that is when I decided to become a certified trauma-informed life coach. Interesting. Yeah. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was um, in the book, um, he says that, you know, trauma manifests in different ways with different people. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, how that actually works. Like, you know, some people, it's maybe obesity um, with you, sort of the ADHD or, you know, what's your experience so far of working with people in terms of how it manifests. Yeah, I mean, I think different people have different trauma symptoms. Um, it's interesting that you that you bring up ADHD as one because that is, that's like, you know, Gabor Mate's theory is that, you know, that is uh, trauma kind of like awakens that and pre- presents the systems kind of like they're like below the surface. And then when a certain, like certain recipe of things happen, then these like negative manifestations occur. And I, I've definitely wondered that about me and ADHD. One of, um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it really varies. I'd say like the things that people have in common are, um, are like, well, what Pete Walker would call emotional flashbacks. I think, I think Bessel van der Kolk just calls it um, just a flashback, but in a, like a PTSD flashback, there's often like a visual component, but in a complex 
PTSD one, it's, it's, it's an emotional flashback where you're emotionally back where you were as a child or, um, whatever your story is. And you're, you're, cause you're being reminded in, in present life of the past. And so you're experiencing it the same way you would in the past. Wow. And you mentioned, um, one of the sort of recipes or uh, sort of therapies or responses in terms of treatment, and it's getting quite technological now. Um, so have any of those actually been able to prevent these flashbacks happening or is it a case always of just having to deal with them after they've happened? I think whenever you have neural networks in your brain, they, they cannot be erased. That is the current understanding, right? But what we can do with neuroplasticity is create new, new wiring, new channels. And so you'll, your triggers, that's all the old programming, right? They're never going to go away. But the more you, the new ones fire, it's kind of like the deeper the grooves go. Like an analogy that someone gave me a long time ago is like, if you think of like grooves in a mountain and you pour like water down, like the old one is like really deep, but that doesn't mean the water can never go in the new one. And it means also the water can consistently go in the new one. It's just that the old one is always there. It's always possible. So I think it's, um, for me, in my recovery, definitely nowadays, things will happen and I will think this is annoying. I don't like this. <laughs> um, but it doesn't, it doesn't get to me and, I, and I'm not hijacked in the same way I used to be where like, I just, I can, it's, it, it's the payoff of mindfulness work as well as, as EMDR for me, because I have done EMDR and I absolutely think that that was a part of um, how I am, where I am right now. EMDR? Yeah, so it's called EMDR because it used to be done and probably is still done like this sometimes with um, like moving your eyes or sometimes it's like little red dots on a, on a machine, you know, made for EMDR. The way that I've done it is a more modern way where you hold these tappers. The one hand vibrates and then the other hand vibrates and back and forth. And uh, the therapist sits across from you and, uh, like you start with a keystone memory. There's all this prep work that I can go into in a minute if you want. But this is after the prep work when you're really in the session. Uh, you start with this memory that you've already pre-decided on, and uh, you you the sensations are called up, the body sensations, and you just sort of let your mind wander. And then she turns it off, and oh, she because my therapist is female, and she turns it off, and she uh, she says something like. It's funny, I can't even remember the question she asked, even though I've done this so many times. It's something like, what came up for you? But what I always answer is just, what was I thinking about? And what kind of, was there like a turning point? And that's what she's listening for, is like some kind of little turning point. And then she'll be like, go with that. And then she turns it back on. And then your mind just kind of wanders. It's a very natural process. And I mean, it has been life-changing for me. I, I, I've had reprocessing dreams. I'm somebody that can remember my dreams a lot. And one, one night I journaled like, or after one night, I think about eight dreams right after EMDR that were all very much like reprocessing dreams. And that was cool because I was able to be able to kind of assess the results 
through through the dreams. And this is just one way of doing it. There's lots of different ways. That's that's not at all mandatory for EMDR to be successful. It's the ability to remember your dreams, but it that was really cool. And I mean, I just had all kinds of stories afterwards. Like one time, I had a weird little interaction with someone, real brief. And I know that before EMDR, I would have felt like upset about it for like days and like, like, why was this person mad at me? Was this person mad at me? Like, how, how dare they have a problem with me over absolutely nothing? And like, it's uh, like the, what does he call it? Like the, 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 the phantom threats, like in the book, he calls it like the phantom vessel Vanderkolk does. And it's, yeah, it's like afterwards I could just immediately tell, like I would and should be responding this way, but those thoughts, they're just not here. They're not coming. And it was so noticeable because right after it, it was so different. But then it's like, I get used to the new normal and the effects are a little harder to pinpoint. But right afterwards, sometimes there's just these big shifts. That's great. That's so inspiring, I'm sure, for people to to hear that just like you described with your analogy, that those pathways are still there. And then when the water is redirected somewhere healthier, you can feel it and it's noticeable. And I think a lot of what this book talks about is that it's not just the mental stress part of it that you feel it, but your whole body feels it. And the, it, there's so many other um, aspects of your health that are affected by being able to um, navigate those stresses and those sort of childhood experiences and all of that baggage that you deal with later in life um, by being able to deal with them in a healthy way, you're affecting your blood pressure, you're affecting the way your lungs work, you're affecting, you know, you're reducing your um, likelihood of getting all these different diseases and those kinds of things. And it's just amazing how far science and technology have gotten that, you know, by talking to a therapist and doing the EMDR type stuff, that you can positively impact the health of your entire body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to hear about sort of people you've worked with um, in terms of like seeing those positive effects of, you know, working through the, the childhood trauma or whatever other trauma that they have endured and, you know, what positive results you've seen, um, you know, full body health wise. Yes. So that's a great question. I feel like... First of all, I got my certification pretty recently. So I've only just started to like open my doors to clients. So I don't have like a ton of success stories or like lots of like a big base of like clients to really talk about. I think the best way for me to talk about that would be uh, my own journey through that. And yes, can you repeat the question? Yeah. So just sort of how you've seen just what the, the book is talking about, the, the full body effects of working through some of the trauma and finding those new healthier pathways. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what it's looked like is so much of like kind of like this, the, the phantom threats thing and like what what I feel like if you don't know much about trauma, what you would call just an overreaction it's not it's not feeling it that bad in the first place. And it's also because it's it's a you know, it's not linear. Right. It goes all over. And also um, when it does happen, when it over when a when that kind of flashback overreaction situation does happen, what to do in the moment? Mm. Because that's you know, it's kind of like the dominoes are falling really fast. So it's like at what point can you interrupt the dominoes? Sometimes it's it's earlier. Sometimes it's a little later. But before any work, it was like always, they would just all fall, always. And it was always the same. And so 
you know, earlier in the work, it was like, okay, I could interrupt it in the middle. And now it's like a lot of the time I can interrupt it early. And sometimes it still happens in the middle. And that that's really the biggest payoff, it, I feel like. And the, one of the biggest um, positive impacts of this work is really doing that. Like as far as like my health, I will say as a child, when I was really going through it, I would have these mysterious stomach aches for hours of just like, mysterious, intense pain. And they went away. They went away slowly. I'm trying to think of like when the last time I had one was, and I can't remember, I might've been a teenager. I don't, they were, they definitely weren't happening in college. I don't think they were happening in high school. And I got some medicine for them eventually that would stop the pain within five minutes. And it was just like a miracle drug for me. I also have, um, and this is still happens today in computers. <laughs> Computer work doesn't help, but I have a lot of tension here, like way, way more than the average person. Like anytime I get a massage, the person's like, whoa. And this is somebody who touches people's backs all the time. Yeah, same with like my acupuncturist. I've done fire cupping along here. And I mean, I just turn like purple. It's wild. And it, it never really seems to go away. Even if I can like massage it, it does always seem seem to be there. And like, that's something that I love about the title of this book, The Body Keeps the Score, as I very much feel like that's my body keeping the score. I remember being kind of hunched over. And part of that was being a kid with a heavy backpack. And I had this habit of like wearing it on one side from like the car to the locker, just like a few of these little locations. Not like I was walking around all day like that. But yeah, my I've definitely had like a lot of different back issues as well. And acupuncture has been helpful with that. The first time I had acupuncture, I was targeting like some chronic pain. Well, some chronic pain from an like a kind of a complex injury that wasn't like a one-time injury, but I kept like opening the sliding glass door in the house and like turning my back, really messed up my back doing that. And after about a year, I got one acupuncture session and what just felt like this epicenter of pain that was never gone was, was finally like 99% gone after one session. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Um, I mean, in the book, he talks about, um, how the trauma puts the body into a, like a continuous state of emergency, um, involving, you know, part of the brain that's, that's dealing with threats so it's like a constant state of being threatened by something, um, which, as you say, has affected you in sort of, well, um, these chronic uh, issues that come up. Um, so it's a very strange reaction. It's not actually life-threatening, the, you know, the, the memories or the flashbacks or the, or the awareness, but that's how the body um, interprets it. Um, and so I just found that very interesting that even if, even if, uh, a sufferer of trauma wants to, they can't sort of get away from, from the body's natural response. Yeah. It's, you gotta work with it because you can't erase it for sure. And yeah, I mean, I just like immediately forgot what I was going to say <laughs> talking about racing it. I don't know. I'm sorry. My thought is gone. Well, I wanted to ask you, cause you mentioned amongst like therapies, mindfulness has been useful. Um, and I also saw in your bio that you've done copywriting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what my degree is in. <laughs> 
is right with writing been something that's been helpful to you or do you know other people uh it's been helpful to them in terms maybe journaling as well in terms of sort of working through stuff yeah create creative writing has has been huge for me and <clears throat> for fun as well as uh that's had like a result of um healing progress in some capacity. Uh, before I saw this, you know, most recent therapist, I, I started writing about my parts. Like I learned from a friend, this, this concept of subpersonalities and it's, he talks about IFS in the body keeps the score. It's just a little tiny bit about it. That has been huge for me as well. And for me that there's an overlap in my work, like my personal work between, um, EMDR and parts work. But I love the internal family systems model of like the idea we have all these parts and some of them just like swoop in and are protective so that we don't have to feel the feelings of the of the exile, which is, um, you know, like the part, the child part of us that like really carries the pain, because that's what all this is about. Like trauma, it, it, it's where the pain gets trapped. It's not processed because as a child, first of all, your, your capability is is, is limited in the first place. But even if you take something like a, uh, a car crash and the car like rolls over, it is said that if you are able to bust out a window and crawl out, like you're able to do something about it, the impact, because that's what trauma really is, is the impact. It's not the thing that happened. It's what you're left with, the, the score that the body kept. Uh, it, it will be less. But for me, as, as children, generally, there, there, there ain't no getting out of that. You're just stuck in that house. It is what it is, your situation. So that's how, that's why tra childhood trauma is, is such a big thing, because generally it, you're, you're stuck. You don't get to bust out a metaphorical window and crawl out. That's right. Yeah. The book describes in pretty vivid detail, very similar about the experiment they did with dogs where they the, they were uh, giving these dogs these like small electric shocks to see what happens when something bad happens to these dogs. Do they overcome or do they give up? And they found that by and large, the ones that just knew it were, was coming and there was nothing they could do about it, even when they were free and could get away from the pain, they didn't because they had learned this sort of learned helplessness type thing. And just like you're describing with children, there is no moving out at age seven. There is no getting away from the trauma sometimes. And, you know, one of the quotes I really like from the book is um, Vanderkolk says, for every soldier who serves in a war zone abroad, there are 10 children who are endangered in their own homes. This is particularly tragic since it's very difficult for growing children to recover when the source of terror and pain is not en enemy combatants, but their own caretakers. And just imagining like, what does that do to the psyche and to the body long term when the people who are responsible for caring for you are also responsible for these huge aces or what they call adverse childhood experiences, which manifest in all this stress and, you know, body harm and health risks later in life? Yeah. And I remember what I was going to say earlier now. So <laughs> you're talking about perceived danger. Mm. The thing is, emotional connection is a need. There have been some studies done about children, like babies, like dying from not getting physical affection. Just for example, it, it really is as important as, as food. 
And so it, it was life-threatening at a time. And like I was mentioning, the whole thing with emotional flashbacks is you are, you are rem- or a part of you at least, is remembering that time. And so, yeah, like in the moment, I don't know, someone just like being annoying, saying something, whatever your trigger is. Yeah, that's obviously not necessarily life-threatening, but but it does remind you of something that legitimately was perceived that way for that reason, because it is as much of a basic need as food. And kids kids will continue to run towards their parents. There've, there have been studies on, on this too. And it's because child, children cannot fathom that this person is, is not safe because that it's just like a brain glitch. They just can't because what, what that means for them is that they're not safe and they cannot handle that. They cannot process that. Like what, what I went through as a kid was absolutely something that like, there was no way I was going to be able to like understand and process that like, cause it all had to do with like the nature of the divorce and why did it happen and how did it play out and all the, all of these details around that. It, it was, it was just all way too much. And I had very little emotional support through it because, um, you know, my parents didn't really know how to manage their own emotions and they had a lot of fear and anxiety, especially around this whole divorce issue. And so, you know, they passed that on to me. And that's, that actually reminds me in the book, he talks about generational trauma. I feel like there's two components to that. One is as he talks about in pregnancy, what is passed down as well as though, like you can't give your kids what you don't have. So you can do your best and still not do awesome, just like with anything else. Doesn't mean you didn't try your best. That's valid. It's just that doesn't necessarily correlate to the impact being great. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, the physical aspect of, you know, the child-parent relationship. Um, and I think in the book uh, he also talks about how important this is for adults who are recovering from trauma i think there have been some studies that people after 9 11 and so on there was a program for physical touch and that was quite healing um and um also one of the other therapies he talks about um miranda i don't know if you if you did this but um talking therapies you know psychology or whatever uh talking therapy um did you did you find that useful um, in any way, or does it not sort of alleviate anything? Well, I think t- talking is absolutely part of it. Um, through through that, you can get insights. Um, a big part of um, inner child work is your time is like your it can be because it can cover a lot of things. Um, your timeline, like your life story, and. Uh, that's one thing that, that I've done is go go through like my whole life, all of like the big events with a trained professional to um, to help me like find those insights. So that's been some of the most beneficial thing, but also just the the relationship, like the, the coach client relationship or the therapy client relationship. This could even happen outside of a professional setting. It's more it's closer. I don't want to, how do I word this? Like it's it's still not a guarantee because not every practitioner is the best fit for every client, but it's closer to like a guarantee. Like your chances are higher if you're paying for it and it's somebody who knows what they're doing, but you can have reparative relationships 
outside of paid settings as well. And so the talking and the being heard and trusting somebody and feeling safe, that in and of itself is reparative as well. But also things can happen in there where you you learn how to feel your feelings. Because I, I did not feel my feelings for a long time. And somewhere, somewhere in the body keeps the score, there's this part about um, like you can take drugs and they can be helpful, like antidepressants and things like that. But also they can be like a Band-Aid. And I've definitely experienced them as a Band-Aid that like was masking bigger issues that were not getting resolved. And it's like some sometimes you just need something right now. And that's valid. And that's great. And it can also be a mix. That's what happened with, uh, with me. I started on, on a medicine and then I went to therapy. And then a year later, I just decided just kind of out of the blue. I was like, I think I'm done with this. I don't think I need this anymore. And, and then once I got off, I was in a whole nother world of oh, wow, all these feelings like came back that the the serotonin would come in and like wash away my feelings. I never really could feel them. And I needed to learn how to feel my feelings to get to the next level. And that was like very, very early in my work, like in my my early 20s. That's such a great point that, you know, in order to heal, in order to process the trauma and in order to move on, you have to be equipped. You have to be able to show up to therapy. You have to function. And so if you're at a place mentally where you're not able to function, you're not able to, you know, it's a day-to-day crisis situation, then I think that's a great point that you may need the medicine as a bridge to get to where you need to be to do the work, to equip you, you know, those kinds of things. Um, But like, like you mentioned, there's so many different ways of healing. There's so many different tools in your tool belt that you can use for when these triggers come up or when the trauma, you know, manifests in some way. And medicine is just one of them. And, you know, it may be necessary at times and other times it may not be depending on how many other tools you have. And some people at some times, maybe medicine is the only tool they got. And, you know, if, if that if that's what they need to do at that point, you know, anything that gets them on the path of healing is is good. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's always other ways eventually, you know, down the road. And, and, and for some people, they're not there's some, for some people, they'll be on medicine for the rest of their lives. And, you know, and that's okay, too, whatever is necessary, you know, how I think everyone's going to have different tools in their tool belt. But as long as we're all, you know, thinking about equipping ourselves and being, um, you know, ready to deal with this, this trauma, so that it doesn't just take over uh, your whole body and, and your whole life, really. Mm. Well, I th- we're just lucky, there are so many as an array of responses and therapies now. Because I think when, when Bessel van der Kolk started um, working in this area, there wasn't many people in the field at all. So he was sort of pioneering um, working with Vietnam vets and so on. Um, Corinne, did you discover sort of any more about him and, um, you know, what he did before and after this book? Yeah, so um, Van der Kolk, so basically this book, Body Keeps the Score, it sold over 3 million copies since its release in 2014. So this was a huge selling book. Um, like you mentioned, Tom, prior to it, there just wasn't a lot of discussion, especially not anything geared towards the general public. It was more textbooky, a little bit more academic. Um, so Van der Kolk did a great job of sort of bridging that gap where it's a lot of science, but it is written in a way that anyone could use the information. 
Um, so since then, he's been the course director of the annual Boston International Trauma Conference since 1989. And today he also runs a 501c3 nonprofit called the Trauma Resource uh, Research Foundation. Um, the pandemic really brought this book into bestseller list again recently um, because people are increasingly dealing with mental health issues um, due to the stress and uncertainty that we've all faced since March of 2020. Um, so you'll continue to see and hear The Body Keeps the Score on social media and it's still on the bestseller list. It'll keep popping up again and again, even recently. Um, yeah, because people are, are still turning to this book as a a source of wisdom uh, with all the you know mental stress that we're we're dealing with so yeah um so miranda we always give the, the book we're talking about a rating out of five and say why um i mean amongst other books you've read in psychology or trauma um or any book for that matter how do you rate this one i just feel like there's a context. I can't give you that answer without a context. I'm going to give you two answers. So if you don't know anything about trauma, you're, it's, it's a great place to start. It's as good as a lot of others. I, I, could, I would say four or five for that. Yeah. If you already know a lot, like I did, then it's like, well, I don't know how much. It just depends on what else you've read. Like, I don't know how much newness is in there. I just think whatever the first book is about trauma, that's the one that has the most potential to, to open your eyes and blow your mind, maybe. And so, yeah, on, honestly, for me, it wasn't this book, but it, it it would have been if I had started with it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Corinne? Yeah, you know, I, I really do like this book. Um, this is one that I reference often in conversations and just in my own, you know, thinking I, I remember this book a lot. It, it does stand out to me. Um, I really give it five out of five bookmarks um, only because there's so few books that I can recommend to everyone, regardless of, you know, age and situation. Like this is just something that everyone's going to deal with. Even if you, you yourself don't have trauma to unpack, somebody that you know and love does. And so knowing this and understanding how how trauma affects people is great for empathy. It's great for learning. And it on a really basic level, it's just fascinating. I, I'm definitely one that loves to dig into neurology and the science behind how the body works and why. And so, um, yeah, for that reason, I, I give it a, a five out of five. Um, yeah. What do you think, Tom? Um, yeah, well, I've only read sort of two, two or three books on trauma. And this was the first. So, um, yeah, it really stayed in my mind. Um, and so many sort of detail and, and cases in there. Um, so I, I give it four out of five um, as a read and also just the information you get. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the, the other book I read was about sort of um, military war trauma. Um, so this one was very different in its sort of bit more approach to like the sort of domestic family situation. So um, completely different, but really the, the, the way that the body reacts to both in the same way, um, I, I thought was fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole concept that your own physiology and like you have the human body has evolved in such a way that it can work against you in certain times to me, like that just makes it worth the read is to know that, you know, we were evolved to have this response to bears and, you know, threats. And sometimes that 
you know, neurology works against us in times when it's not a bear. It's, you know, a situation at work or with family or anything else. It's uh, it's really fascinating. So, yeah, definitely one I recommend. Yeah. And and everybody has that survival mechanism. That's what it is to be human. Just a trauma survivor might be a little faster well, will will be faster to go to that sur- survival place. But that is like a lot of the information is universal. We all have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic, you know, nervous system. So that's what I love about it is the the universality of of this information. Even even if you don't consider yourself personally traumatized you've still got all this, these same, you know, systems within you. And, and I think it's learning about trauma is one of the most powerful things to combat the shame of like, well, why am I so sensitive? Why am I always overreacting? It's like, well, because of the past, which wasn't your fault and was beyond your control. And the fact that you're reacting this way now, or or really, I should say programmed to react this way now, again, not your fault. You're not broken. Yeah, that's a great point. And and physically too. So if it's emotional reactions that you're seeing, or if there's some of the physical stuff that we've talked about and some of the different pain and chronic issues health-wise that you're experiencing, there's a chance that there might be some unpacked childhood trauma stuff that you haven't thought about. And um, this book might be that first step to thinking through, like maybe there are some things back there that come up physically. And so even if it doesn't feel like emotional stress, there could be an emotional core there. Yeah, we we all are raised in an imperfect culture, imperfect society with imperfect parents. We all have some level of whatever you want to call the minimum of it, childhood wounds or conditioning. I think it's, it's just important that it's up to every individual to call it whatever they want to call it. If they want to, if they feel like they were traumatized, I think it's very important that that person is able to call it that or is able to be like, no, that is too extreme. That's not me. I'm over here. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, is trauma sort of a spectrum? Um, and what point do you call it trauma? Or does it go from being a hurt feeling to a wound to, yeah, interesting? Yeah, and I think the, the more you learn about it, the more clear you'll, you'll be able to identify yourself just like with a lot of other identity language, the more you know about something, the more clear you can be. Absolutely. I'm sure there are probably adults out there who are wrestling with that with like, oh, I just had a disciplinarian parent or I just had someone who was, you know, very strict and stern. And then suddenly as an adult, you know, the time changes, the shifts of, you know, society and the way that we talk about abuse. And it's like, oh, was that strict or was that abuse? Was this trauma or was that, you know, and the more you wrestle through that, you just you don't know what healing might be on the other side of those deep questions. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's important to see your set of challenges and say, okay, other people that have this set of challenges, no matter what language we're going to use about it, here's some, some solutions. Like there's IFS, there's therapy, all these things, acupuncture, massage, whatever. Just like try, try some. And like, I'm all about not getting too hung up on, on the labels. The labels are a tool to open the door for support. Once that door is open, yay yeah (laughs) now you can get to solutions absolutely yeah call it what you want doesn't matter but all right well thank you so much miranda we really appreciate you joining us to delve into this topic and if people want to connect with you and your work and your coaching um what's the best way to reach you 
Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's, it's been great to be on here. And the best way to find me, my website is MirandaWise.com. And my Instagram is where I post uh, mostly. And that is Miranda.M.Wise. And that is also my username on TikTok, where I occasionally post things as well. That's great. And we'll be sure to link in the show notes to all of those places so that folks can connect with you. Um, Yeah. Thank you again. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Yeah. And for those watching on YouTube or listening uh, to the podcast, I hope that you will um, tune in again. And again, you can always find Book Insights Pod on all the social platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Book Insights Pod. And every Wednesday, we'll be back with uh, new episodes talking about books that uh, impact your work and life. And don't forget to check the show notes so that you can get to the memo about The Body Keeps the Score. Um, Let's see. Oh, and the Book Insights episode all about this book. So thank you again. Thanks, Miranda. Thank you. Thank you.